Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Uh, hello and good evening and welcome to this week's Man in the Post podcast. I'm Chris. With me I've got uh, Mark. Hello, Mark. Hello. Hello. And back from her European tour, I've got Emma. Hello, Emma. Hi. So you went to Real Madrid and you went to Hamburg? Yes. So how was that? Um, We didn't go to a game in uh, at the Bernabeu. We went to um, Getafe versus Real Madrid, which is sort of a suburb of Madrid. Which was really good, actually, because it was quite nice to see almost proper Spanish football in a sort of typical smaller stadium rather than sort of just the, you know, bright lights of the Bernabeu. So that was really, really interesting. And um, Real Madrid won 3-0, which was, you know, great to see. Um, we did do a, st- a stadium tour of the Bernabeu, which was just amazing. Although I get a bit seasick when I get to the top. I can You can tell I'm a... <laughs> fan of lower league football because I do not like going anywhere near the top of stadiums. Very high up. Uh, yeah, I had to stand with my back against the wall and wouldn't have a look over the railings. Oh, great. And now you're back in dear old Blighty. Yeah, and now I'm home. <laughs> right, well this we're going to talk about international matches, so I'm not entirely sure how long this will be, but we're going to talk England and all the joys of that yesterday and what this means for, um, for the World Cup. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about... Tony Pulis finding his players for diving. And we're going to talk a little bit more about the weekend's predictions as well. So, first of all, Mark, you only called highlights, didn't you? But Emma, I think you said you saw pretty much all of it. Yeah. Uh, what were both your impressions from watching the game? Personally, Schmeichel, Dem- Denmark goalkeeper, was the best player on the pitch. He definitely kept them in it for a lot of the game. And he was just making some absolutely inspiring saves, which judging from that and other bits I've seen of him I would not be surprised if a top club come in reasonably swiftly for him in the summer I was surprised he stayed at Leicester mm, I'm surprised he's still there but I can't Yeah, he's watching him there he was top class absolutely top class so I, I would be really shocked obviously if Leicester well if Leicester get promoted so maybe it's a question of when now Maybe he would be sort of. Maybe he would stay if he's in the top league. But I would have thought someone bigger will come in. So you think if someone like Thomas Sorensen was in goal, England would have done a bit more comfortably? Maybe we we weren't that inspiring. To you know, with the chances that England had, but I would yeah, I would have said probably more of a two three goal margin. Yeah, well the. Denmark coach Morten Olsen said, um, I wish England luck in the World Cup, you'll need it. Yeah, I agree with him there. Yeah, it's probably sort of damning as a faint praise. What did you think, Mark? You saw, um, that's a half an hour or so, didn't you? Yeah, I'd just been, uh, got back into the country myself yesterday, so uh, by the time I got to see it, I just saw the last half an hour. And if the previous 60 minutes was anything to go by, then it was a bit of a, you know, bit of an ordeal for anybody who was watching it. 
Um, it's just the same old England. It's just far too predictable and far too slow. And it doesn't matter what formation we play and what players we bring in and take out. We just seem to say that play the same way. And you know, Denmark have often been a, a decent side with you know four or five players you know, uh, or, or playing good sides in the Premier League. But even Denmark haven't got a great team these days, and we we you know we struggled to to get past them. You know, so we just don't seem to be going any further forward. What we're going to do, we haven't got a big pool of players to pick from, you know, other than the players that we had, or we've got in that squad of 20 or who else would you pick? I was finding very surprised that um, he starts with players like Gerard and Rooney. We all know what Gerard and Rooney can do. Same with Ashley Cole as well. Was it not a chance to play players that haven't got as much experience? He can start Luke or um, you could start at Oxley Chamberlain or people like that because you know what Rooney's going to do. It's a chance to look at others, isn't it? You would you would think so. Um, it's, they've got nothing left to lose in a in a home game against Denmark, where just let them go out and play and and what have you. But at the same time, you can understand that Hodgson's thinking. Well, I know that Gerard and Rooney are definitely going to play. I want to see who's going to be able to play well alongside them so he's going to have to know who his midfield three are for example and who his other two strikers or his other, other wingers are um, playing up front with Rooney so he's trying to find who's going to work well with them but at the same time okay Gerard is, is guaranteed a place but um, what I saw the, the very brief part of what I saw Rooney and, and little bits I've read and heard today Rooney can't really command a first team place especially if Sturridge keeps scoring uh, you know Playing, playing up the middle. Rooney's going to be the have to have to be the one playing the support role. So um, yeah, we're just we're just got not going anywhere fast with this team. Yeah, you would definitely. I mean, you would definitely. It'd be a big call not to start Rooney, wouldn't it? But, yeah, it's never going to happen. But the, it's blatantly obvious at the moment that if if the way things are going, you would have Storage up the centre because he's the one scoring the goals. And Rooney doesn't play as the central player at Manchester United either. So why would he play there for England when that's not his best position? No, you know. I think Hodgson said that he was uh, happy with the player's desire, and he was um, he thinks he's been given a couple of uh, um, good news sort of headaches in the fact that some people played very very well, um, and that he thinks that he's got one of those sort of good problems in the fact that lots and lots of people are sort of playing well. Can you see that as well? Or do you feel that maybe his selection headaches are due to the fact that he hasn't got the sort of pool of talent that he wants to choose from? What do you think, Emma? I think there's um, com- there's a lot of competition in places, which obviously is good, but it's not it it's not such a selection headache as in um, sort of the style you're going to play or the people that um, I don't know how to word it like the people that. You know the people that work well together, but is it worth putting people that work well together if they're not the best person in their position? Yeah. I think that's the sort of, for me, that's what I would think of when I think of an England selection headache. Yeah. I think Lallana did well when he came on. He got the assist for the goal. Uh, Raheem Sterling got man of the match. Luke Shaw did well when he came on as well. Um, Maybe there's hope in the future, if not for this World Cup. You never know. Well, Lan is a good little player. You know, he's a he's a clever player, and that's they're always going to do well, especially in international football. You know, England still make the mistake, I think, a lot of the time of throwing in players who are good runners. You know, we've got James Milner, we've got Jordan Henderson. You know, they've got lots of energy to get around the field and all that, but they're not necessarily suited to international football. I think Lana, Lana is. You know, he's a good, clever, 
thoughtful player, you know, good passer, good vision, gets his head up, has a look. He's one of those type of players and they always do well in the international game. Yeah, not one of those that sort of runs around a lot, which is the typical English sort of stereotype, isn't it? Yeah, you don't see those players in, in the Spanish team, do you, or the German team. They're all proper, you know, footballers with a footballing brain. Yeah, you don't often see Pirlo running around a lot, do you? Well, exactly. The fellas never run more than five yards at a time, you know, and look <laughs> at him, he's top top player. Well, England named their 23-man squad plus seven standby players on the 13th of May. They've then got a friendly against Peru on the 30th. Uh, 2nd of June, they named their final 23-man squad. And then... 4th and 7th of June, there's friendlies against Honduras and Ecuador in Miami. So there's three games left in which fringe players can push themselves forward. So do you think it's too late for anyone to make a late charge? Personally, I think the the, the 30 or so that he's picked for this squad are the ones that he's looking from. It's very hard to see outside. People like Gareth Barry have been mentioned, but I think if Gareth Barry wasn't getting picked now or anybody like him um, that aren't injured then it's unlikely that in the 10 games remaining of this season, they can they can show anything that's going to make them worth being taken to this final selection process before the, the whole thing kicks off. Yeah. What about you, Emma? Any, any late names you can think of? No, I, I have to agree there. I think that it's now... To, I think he should now focus on the players that he's already looking at. I don't think there's anyone in my mind that particularly sticks out that has been so good this season that hasn't already been included I think he's sort of not particularly looked outside the box but there are a few names that deserve to be called up like Lalana. that I think now he's got all those people within his grasp I don't think he'll be looking elsewhere I think he'll focus on them mm. Were you happy with uh, the midfield there was Gerard Henderson and Wilshire in midfield uh, along with well, I suppose Sterling was along a, along a front three. I mean, Carrick was in was a, was a sub and a new sub. So was Lampard as well. I mean, is the pass gone for them? I think I think this is where it it becomes tough, and it's whether Hodgson is prepared to step out. I think that if I think it would be risky for him not to take players like that with him because when you know if England get a really I can't remember who their first game. Is, against but if they get a really rubbish result you know the English press will turn on him and say you know if Lampard and Carrick people don't go out there the, the press will turn straight away and be like well these players are still playing decent club football potentially you know with what happens towards the end of the season they're still winning things why weren't they on the playing whereas you flip it round and if they do really well in their opening game the press will report well they've had their time they're done we're looking to a new England so it's really just the way, the way they perform. I think I personally think, you know, Lampard's a great person to have around. But for me, I think his England career is done. And I think there's a lot of people that not, I don't suppose a lot, but there are, you know, I'm a true believer and you should play at your age level. So you've got the under, you know, the under 18s, under 21s. And I think there's a lot of sort of now young 20 year olds that may not yet be as good as Lampard, but. You know, Lampard and Gerard, they were all tucked in when they were at that age. So surely these people deserve a chance to step up to the plate and show what they've got rather than just living in Frank Lampard's shadow. Yeah, you're good enough, you're young enough, as they say, or old enough, as they say. Um, elsewhere, Scotland beat Poland 1-0, which a match which 
uh, Gordon Strachan said was pretty much irrelevant because it means nothing because they're both playing each other in the European qualifying. Um, it meant absolutely nothing because there will be changes, said Strachan, inspiring his players that fought so well for that victory. Wales beat Iceland 3-1. Gareth Bale was pretty inspiring. Uh, Sam Vokes and James Collins scored. Cyprus drew 0-0 in Northern Ireland. Uh, and Republic of Ireland lost 2-1 to Serbia. Martin was pretty pleased with the way they played. He thought they they um, uh, they missed a few chances, and if they'd sort of taken a few of those at the start, then you know they could have been could have been different scoreline all round. Anybody see any other games at all? No, well, you know, there's some good results there. You know, Iceland are one of those teams that were were excellent, weren't they? In the well, not excellent, they were excellent for Iceland in the qualifiers. You know, they nearly made it. So for Wales to win, it seems though after you know the whole Gary Speed thing, Wales had a bit of a dip for a while, but it seems like they're. You know, because they were doing really well when he was the manager, and then they had a dip, and it seems that they're starting to come back again now. Wales, and they've had a few half decent results and performances. Iceland were the hipsters' choice, weren't they? For uh, well, exactly, yeah. Qualification. Yeah, exactly. And then Scotland, who I'm going to switch allegiances to, I think, before too long. Um, they're unbeaten in five games now. I think they've still got no chance of getting out of that group that they've been given in the Euros. But you know, I expect them to put up a better, a better fight of it uh, this next campaign compared to the last few you think Gibraltar might be a bit too much for them well Scotland will be they'll, Scot, you know Scotland they'll beat Germany in Germany and then they'll lose 1-0 at home to Gibraltar yeah that sounds pretty much right well, in, true, in true Scottish tradition Danny Higginbotham's retired now so he's uh, he won't be there the, the danger man for Gibraltar anymore oh well maybe they'll get a draw then well if Danny Higginbotham is your danger man then there's, um, there's certainly trouble uh, Spain beat Italy 1-0 France beat Holland 2-0 Portugal beat Cameroon 5-1. That was noticeable for Ronaldo becoming the country's leading goal scorer. Uh, and he would have got another one had his ball heading towards the net not have been sort of sneaked in by Nani, who was offside. Uh, Ronaldo wasn't very happy with that. And did anybody see the Brazil game? No. No. South Africa nil, Brazil 5. The match is probably, Neymar scored a hat-trick, Fernandinho scored and Oscar scored. But I think the match is probably most famous for the, um, the little boy pitching Vader. This, I think he must have been about seven or eight years old, ran onto the pitch, and um, as he was being escorted off the pitch by the sort of officials, Neymar grabbed him and um, took him over to meet the rest of the Brazil players, and he, uh, they grabbed him and they threw him up in the air, like you sort of do a manager after he's won a cup, so they threw him up a few times, and uh, David Luiz took some photos of this little kid with um, Neymar before the, the boy's dad took him off. <laughs> it's on YouTube, if you get a chance to have didn't drop it. Yeah, well, if it was Taffarel in goal, then maybe. <laughs> but yeah, if you get a chance to look at that on YouTube, it's quite a nice little moment also. One other thing I was going to talk about is Kosovo. Did anybody see this story at all? No. They played their first match. It's their uh, political situation in with Kosovo is obviously quite odd in the fact that they've been recognised by 100 countries as being independent, but uh, Serbia won't. Serbia still believe they're part of... An, an integral part of um, Kosovo is still an integral part of Serbia. That's where the Battle of Kosovo took place, and quite a sort of spiritual homeland for Kosovo Serbs. Russia won't recognise their independence as well, but quite a lot of the countries did. So they had a non-FIFA recognised match against Haiti, uh, with which they drew nil-nil on the basis that there were no anthems played and no flags flown. Serbian FA gave their authority. So. Uh, Kosovo could have players such as Berami, uh, Janisai is well documented, uh, Zeshn Shakiri, and somebody else who also plays for Switzerland but uh, was born in Kosovo as well. So, political situation changes with Kosovo. They could have a hell of a team. Mm. Mm. I played in Mitrovica as well, which is a sort of a mixed Serb and um, Kosovan 
neighbourhood or city. So uh, obviously sort of signs of progress there and maybe in a few years' time sort of something to look at. Could be interesting. Yeah, I think it could be. I think it could be. It's a, the breakup of the former Yugoslavia. You said this a couple of weeks ago, Mark, didn't you? And the, the podcast that never was, that if it hadn't happened, they'd have had a hell of a team. Well, they were. I remember they were maybe not quite favourites, but they were the, the the strong dark horses for that '92 European Championship. And when you look at the team they had, the players, they were all pretty much at their peak at that time. You know, you had Prozanecki, Savicevic, Kadlets, uh, Stojkovic, uh, Davos Suka, I think was just in the team. Darko Panchev. They had some absolutely fantastic players. You know, made up of like Red Star Belgrade players who were the European champions at the time. And it's it's the same ever since. You know, you've got a lot of top Croatians. If, you, if you've made a, a team of all the Croatian players, the Serbs, the Montenegrins, um, and those like Yanazai and, and what have you that have, you know, their families left around the time the, the war was on, Yugoslavia would, would possibly be the, the, the leading nation or one of the top two or three leading nations in the world. Yeah. I think, um, I was going to say, imagine a front line of Jovetovic and Dzeko, but you can, can't you? You can, you can imagine it every week, <laughs> but yeah, no, I think you're right. I think they could have a, they could have had a fantastic team because the '98 team got to the semi-finals of the World Cup. Semis, well. yeah, yeah, that was Croatia. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, did anybody see the story this week of Jerome Thomas and Maroon Shamak being fined by Tony Pulis for diving? Uh, this was in the yep. the draw for with Swansea. Um, Pulis said they'll pay money for that. They'll both be fined. It's a disease one we're almost rid of, but if people do it, they've got to be reminded it's not right. Uh, Pulis and Jerome Thomas both apologised to the referee after the match, and um, it's, he said it's something is very strong on. Good, you know. Yeah. Oh, every, every single manager knows that their players do it, and they 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 come out and condemn it in post-match interviews when the opposition players do it. But they, you know, they they obviously do absolutely nothing in training and in their team talks to discourage their own players doing it. So if they get a penalty or a free kick or whatever it is because of diving or simulation and all the rest of it. Um, the the manager says the manager of the player of the team the player belongs to they never ever come out and say that it's a bad thing if it if it's happened as an advantage to them so for Tony Pulis to come out and do it especially in the situation that they're in and find what you want now is for for that not to be a one-off incident as a bit of a publicity grab and that he actually keeps doing this kind of thing and the Palace players knock it on the head and the others follow suit you know because the the FA and the referees either won't or can't police this thing properly. So the only people that can are the managers and the players themselves. Well, David Moyes has done it as well this season with Ashley Young, hasn't he? <laughs> he, he has, but then he let it go for donkey's years with Mikhail Arteta, who used to throw himself on the floor time after time. So, he, he, you know, that's just just he's picking on one one or two incidents when he's let it go for years with other players. Mm. Um, is diving any worse than appealing for a throw-in you know isn't yours? Oh. Um, well, I think a lot of players appeal for throw-ins, you know, when there's been like a deflection or, you know, that kind of, a 50-50. I don't, I don't see that as a, a blight on the game the same way as, as diving is, you know. Yes, it's not strictly morally, you know, down the line, but the the, the diving thing's just horrible, isn't it? Come on, it's, it's a, that's a totally different level to something like that. You think, what do you think, Emma? Um, I agree that it's a different level but it is so frustrating to watch when it is like a player has clearly you know it's like it's come off their shin or they may not have purposely kicked it out 
but it's come off of them and they turn around and put their hand up straight away. That is really frustrating because it is just, you know, it is deceiving, you know, attempting to deceive, to deceive the officials. And when you look at it like that, so is diving. They're on different levels, but they're still both deception and they're still trying to, you know, get away with get away with something. So I, you know, it is they are. Yes, no issues. What you want is the end result. What you want is the same thing, which is an unfair advantage to your team. Yeah. Do you, uh, Diego Maradona was interviewed once, and they asked him if he regretted anything about his hand of God. Uh, and until then, the interview had been in Spanish. And he turned around and he looked at the camera, and he said the next sort of couple of sentences in English. And he said um, something like, "Mr. Shilton, Mr. Ronnie Shilton, have you never ever saved the ball, and it's gone out for what should be a corner, but it's been given a goal kick in your favour." <laughs> And he's right, because cheating is cheating, and you know i I don't see the difference between diving and and pretending that a throw in has gone for you and it hasn't, and you know the goal kick should be a corner, but you get the goal kick so the keeper doesn't say anything. It's all about gaining an unfair advantage for your team, isn't it true true and you know um maybe we're just a, a you know hoping for fair play and for you know, everything to turn out as it should in a game, decisions going one way or the other, and for the game to have a fair result. Maybe maybe we're all being a bit too naive and a bit too old-fashioned to believe that that's how it should be in football because, you know, you come across things now and which is so annoying and so frustrating about uh, nobody ever concedes a, free, a penalty or a free kick anymore. A defender never concedes it. The forward always wins the free kick. The forward is always entitled to go down for a penalty. That's nonsense, you know, total nonsense. And maybe, maybe we're just living in a, in a in an era that doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, Gareth Bale annoyed me last season. He was he was brought down in the area and was given a yellow for um, a dive. Uh, and he said, "Well, there's contact, therefore it's a foul." And there's nothing like that in the rules at all. Contact doesn't necessarily mean a foul. Not at all. It's ab- it's absolute. You know, I was going to say something bad there. Total oh, bollocks. I go on. It's bollocks. I'll say it anyway. <laughs> but. But you're right. I mean, che- cheating is cheating, one way or another. Uh, and um, unfortunately, it, the stakes are so high these days, even in lower league football, and it's creeping even further and further down. Um, the stakes are so high that it's never gonna, it's never gonna be reversed. I don't think, unfortunately. Is it limited to football? Do you think? Um, what you mean, as in other sports? Or yeah, just or like... just trying to gain gain an unfair advantage because we often get sort of beaten over the head by the rugby moralists, don't we? You sort of, you know say we beat each other but we still say yes sir no sir to the referee and all that nonsense that they come out with so I mean I should imagine that there's not a rugby player going that's not trying to seek an unfair advantage absolutely survival of the fittest and all that yeah exactly I mean I think it's wherever there's money involved there's always going to be something or wherever there's there's a prize at stake there's always going to be something like that isn't there Mm -hmm. and well this is where you could argue that the, the, the argument for more technology in football comes in because if you've got, if you're, if you look at a sport like, um, like, even like ice hockey or something, they've got cameras and they've got people watching what's going on, like upstairs. And as soon as something happens and the referee isn't hundred percent sure, within seconds they've, you know, been up the upstairs in inverted commas has whispered in their ear, no, it's not, carry on. And if we want to, I think it's never, you know, one person or three people or if it goes up to five people on the pitch are never going to be able to see everything that goes on whereas if you've got that eye in the sky 
whether it would be able to be sort of stamped down on more. Well, it's interesting because quite often the argument given against technology in football is the fact that it's such a fast-flowing and sort of free-moving game. But if they use it in ice hockey, then there's evidently an argument you could use it in football as well. It, it does. I mean, it does slow the game down, but with but it it doesn't with a game like football. If it's gone out through a throw-in anyway, if you know, it won't take someone what more than 10 seconds to reverse mm. a film by 10 seconds and watch it back and say no that's that's right it would just carry on and the more we use it and the, the faster it would become would any of you be interested in the idea of um each manager gets three decisions a half or three decisions a game and you know a bit like in cricket or a bit like in tennis where you can appeal and if it goes in your favor then you get to keep that um, that appeal for the next time, or if you uh, if your appeal is wrong, then you get to lose that appeal. Would that be an idea? Mm, I'm a bit dubious about all. Uh, yes, you know you've got to we've got to try and eradicate all these refereeing errors and players cheating and diving and all the rest of it. But if you okay, we've got goal line technology now, which is a matter of fact, isn't it? Is the ball over the line or is the ball not? It's then a case of where do we where do we draw the line? Where do we stop? The more in technology we introduce. How much can we be a hundred percent certain that player A hasn't tripped player B? You know, enough to bring them down for a free kick or a penalty. How how can we always be a hundred percent sure, even with a even with a television camera? You know, you can be ninety nine percent certain, let's say, that the player's dived, or seventy percent certain. And then if we're stopping the the play every so often for that kind of thing, on a matter of interpretation and and opinion a lot of the time in a game of football from the officials and you can get different opinion between one referee and another whereas at least with the goal line technology it's a matter of fact the ball is either over the line or it isn't so we it's a dangerous road to go down because it's just or, or it's a difficult road to go down because you don't it's hard to know when you where you can stop and where you draw the line and where you can and where you can't use it effectively without spoiling the game to some degree mm. yeah no i agree i think there's sort of pros and cons to all of them isn't there mm. I don't think you're ever going to get anything perfect I also think that if you didn't have players trying to con the referee so often referees would probably get more decisions right oh yeah I mean referees get a hell of a lot of stick and, and a lot of the time rightly so but they, they're they hung out to dry by FIFA constantly you know faffing about with the rules or not changing the rules that should be changed and the players conning them left right and centre you know that the the reason for the, for many games or the game in general being ruined is not referees, it's the players and their actions that that often spoils a game of football, not not the referees. And the referees often don't have got no, you know, they've got no protection. They've got no, um, they're on they're they're on hiding to nothing really most of the time. Yeah. Having said that, Luis Suarez was never offside at Goodison last season in the last minute. Yeah, but you know. Then Jack Rodwell never really touched him when he got sent off in the derby the year before that. So no, he didn't. And Suarez should have been sent off with this ten as well. So <laughs> yeah, it's all—it's the way Suarez dislocates his jaw and throws himself in the air every time anybody blows on him that really winds most people up, isn't it? I think it is. But at the same time, everybody laughed when David Luiz hid his face last year and then smiled at the camera at Old Trafford. Yeah, I mean that sort of thing is. They do deserve a right good kick, don't they? Next time, if you're going to go out and you know foul a player, at least foul them properly. Yeah, that's what Roy Keane would have done. Yeah, give him something to really roll around the floor in agony. 
you know, injured players don't roll around on the floor screaming and moaning. Injured players lie still. So if you're gonna if you're gonna foul the likes of Suarez or whoever, at least give them something to moan about. Yeah, exactly. Um, moving on to predictions then. Um, FA Cup and Premier League this weekend. We've got a, a mixture uh, after last week's. Um, you had a bit of help from Laura. Emma, you're now up on 28. I had a terrible week. I only got two right. I'm on 30. But busting out into the lead is Mark on 37. Wow. You got seven Mark, last week. Did I? Wow. I know. I think I think I got a couple of good ones right. Um, I did. I did say Sunderland would take Man City to extra time, and you know they gave them a good game. Yeah. Yeah. Wasn't it last week or the week before that the bookies had their worst ever? Weekend because all the favourites won. Oh, did they? Oh, did they? That's a shame. <laughs> and still, we didn't win. Get ten out of ten on the predictions. <laughs> Never mind. I think you've you've had a good bit of help while you've been off, Emma. So you've you've I think you've done well to sort of stay where you are. I appreciate all the help. <laughs> Pressure's back on this week because it's you that's doing it. I know. So, right. Yeah. Come on, you've got it. Now you're all your gallivanting. You've got to come back to reality now. Yeah. You've had your holiday, you, you've logged back on, turned your out-of-office off, and you're, yeah. you're back in there. Well, first up, then, we've got Arsenal-Everton in the Cup. Uh, I think that's the early, well, one of the early kickoffs on on Saturday. Mark, how do you think you're going to do? Um, I'd like to think it, that Arsenal are going through their the, the, the February-March period that Arsenal seem to have every few seasons where they're in contention for everything and then they just throw it all down the drain in a three-week period. I'd like to think that they're still in that period after losing to Stoke, um, getting humped by Liverpool the other week. They're obviously going to be out the Champions League. Well, they still imagine they got to play that next week, haven't they? So would he be ready? They got to play the second leg. Yeah, that's. Yeah, but you, can you see them? Can you see them overturning that? I don't think anybody can really. Will Everton be strong enough? Um, you know what? I think I, I might. I might take a draw. Actually, I think it'll be a draw. Yeah, I'm being optimistic, and I'll say a draw. Okay. And what do you reckon? Yeah, I have to say I agree there. I can't. I've not decided either way who who will who is stronger at the moment. So I'll go for a draw. You're going for a draw. I'm going to go for an Everton win. Um, the key to the game. The key to the game is Lukaku, who's just back fit. He played about ten minutes last week. And he looked, okay, it was only 10 minutes, but he, he looked a bit sharper than he had done before he was injured. So if he's fit, I think he he could be the key man in the game. Yeah, but he's shown though, isn't he? Well, less he's more uh, streamlined, more aer- aerodynamic now. So Well, I think Everton might do this. I think despite the fact they're 2-0 down, Wenger has at least got to look like he's making an effort in the Champions League and play his best players. Especially yeah. as they did well there last year. So I'm gonna, I think he might rest a few. Wiltshire's out as well. I saw the game. I was in Saudi Arabia last week, and I had the Stoke Arsenal game on the telly whilst I was watching the Everton game on the laptop. And Arsenal were very poor against Stoke. Yeah, they very they blamed the handball, but I don't think they had a shot on target in the second half. No, they were they were terrible. Arsenal really bad. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm going to go Everton then. Okay, next game: Sheffield United, Charlton. Are we all Sheffield United and Charlton experts? No, no, nothing about the. <laughs> current size <laughs> at all I, I know that one they're both doing fairly poorly in their divisions so let's go for, I'm going to go for Sheffield United Colin what do you reckon Emma? Oh, I'll mix it up and go for Charlton yeah I'm going to go Sheffield United as well I think there could be um, there's always one year that a struggling lower league team mm-hmm. tends to do well so I'm going to go Sheffield United Clough for Wembley yeah 
Yeah, you never know. Paul Sunderland. I think in, in, in the time that we've been doing product, predictions, I think whatever I've said Hull do, they do the opposite. Yeah. So um, I think it's at Hull, isn't it? Yes. Okay, I'll go for Hull. Okay. Emma? I think that Sunderland have got a taste of Wembley, so I think I'll go for Sunderland. Okay, I'm going to go for a draw, I think. I realised last week, I think I've been probably been playing this game a bit too tactically, which is why I only got two mm. last week. I should go what I think rather than what you two don't do. <laughs> That's probably where I've been going wrong. That's uh, a novel idea. Yeah, you never know. It might just work. Um, Man City Wigan. Revenge at a dish best served cold. <sighs> um, as much as Wigan seem to be um, doing really well under Rosler, Rosler, then... Um, you still can't see them beating them again, can you? No, it's um, at Eastlands as well. Yeah, City for me. Okay, Emma, are Wigan going to do Watford, but one step further? Uh, I would love to say yes, <laughs> but no, I can't <laughs> see being any other result apart from City winning. And I hope that it's not a complete goal fest. I hope Wigan sort of walk out of it with a bit of pride. Well, again, City got Champions League next week, haven't they? Mm. So even, I think, well, I just suppose as soon as they, if they can rest players, it also means they can bring someone like uh, Aguero in or, you know, whoever's not been playing recently. I don't think it'll be a hammering. I don't think it'll be a hammering at all. It might be 2-1 or 2-0, something like that. But yeah. you, still, you can't see Wigan winning. No, sadly not. It would be good. And especially, yeah. especially Rosler back at City, I think that would be good as well. But I can't see it. Uh, in the Premier League, then, we got West Brom, Man United. West Brom looking through the double over United. Is that going to happen? I've backed. Every time I'm here, I always back United because growing up with football, as I did in sort of last 10 years, you sort of are conditioned to always think that United will win. And they've always let me down. So I'm going to go for West Brom. You're going to go for West Brom, are you? Okay. What are you going to go for, Mark? Uh, draw. I think West Brom are draw specialists. They, they seem to be doing quite enough to get a point here and there under Mel. Um, well, he's um, United. They, they they say that he's under investigation by the hierarchy there for his poor results since he started. Mm, I know. I mean, that's just, again, they were stupid to sack Steve Clark in the first place. So anything that happens to them after that, after such a silly thing to do, really, they kind of brought on themselves. So, uh, but Man United are just a bit, still a bit Jekyll and Hyde, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. So I, I think it'll end up being a draw. You think it'll be a draw? Okie dokie. Um, I'm going to go for a Man United win, simply because, like you, Emma, <laughs> I just, you just can't back against them, can you? It's just sort of twenty years of conditioning of them winning. Twenty years of conditioning. Yeah. Pavlov's dogs, you can't do anything about it. Cardiff Fulham. Uh, Fulham, was this? this is 19th versus 20th, this is. And with Sunderland in the cup, West Brom playing Man United, this is probably a good chance for both those teams to catch up if they can get a win. Mm. Do you think it will condemn the loser? Could do. Even this, even at this early stage, it's going to have a big effect, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, both their goal differences are pretty poor. Cardiff is minus 30. Fulham is minus 34. <laughs> it's pretty awful. Uh, Sunderland do a third bottom is minus 16 West Brom fourth bottom is minus 8 so I mean it's like a point already isn't it the the goal difference yeah but McGath is the relegation specialist isn't he or anti-relegation specialist mm. I think it'll take one goal to win this game I would imagine well watch it'll probably be 5-0 now but I, I, if there's a goal in this game I can't I, that's got to be the winner isn't it 
you'd imagine. Yeah. Full, I'll go Fulham. Sign. You're going to go Fulham. What do you reckon, Emma? I'll go for Fulham as well. I think. Maybe. Yeah. Perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> You're just very confident. Uh, I'm going to go Fulham. I think the McGath factor is not to be underestimated. Uh, Crystal Palace, Southampton. Southampton are pretty much the ninth, aren't they? Well, they're, sort of, they're not going to go anywhere particularly higher. They're not going to go any particularly lower. What have they got to play for? Palace have got everything to play for. Yeah, some of the Southampton fans that I sort of are friends with are a bit nervy about this one. Your friends with Southampton fans? Well, I have to. Yeah? Yeah. It's a hard life. That's been a tough gig the last few years, isn't it? <laughs> Just a bit. <laughs> 2008 must have been as good as it got for you. Yeah, as good as it's going to be for a long time. <laughs> so you you think Southampton, do you? I can't see them. Well, no, I can't see them losing it. I can't see them throwing it away. So, yeah. You think so? I'll go for Southampton. Okay. Mark Southampton, or are you going to go for the incredibly honest Crystal Palace? <laughs> Again, Palace seem to do the opposite of what I predict most weeks. And, you know, at home, they, they seem to be doing quite well, so I'll go for a draw. You have a draw, okay. I'll go for a Palace win. I've got a feeling that Southampton aren't all that much on the road. I'm probably wrong, but I'm going to go Palace. <laughs> uh, Norwich versus Stoke. Stoke's last four games are, I think, something like Liverpool, Chelsea, uh, United, and Man City, aren't they? Mm. So Norwich need to win everything between now and then to give a chance of, of staying up. They're 15th at the moment, but they're only four points off the relegation. Yeah. I, I'll, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take Norwich for this one. Yeah? Yep. Emma, what do you reckon? I went for, I went for Norwich to get relegated at the beginning of the season, so I'm going to have to go Stoke. You went for Norwich to go down, did you? Yeah. So the bottom three at the moment is... Bottom, <laughs> say that again, sorry. But they've got to start losing. Well, they're, they're certainly doing that for you. <laughs> Sunderland, Cardiff, and Fulham. Who's going to stay up then? Sunderland. Sunderland. I think you. Yeah, I think you might be right. I don't think you'd want to walk into the changing room, would you, on the last game of the season and face Gus Poyer having just been relegated? No. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't fancy that. I'm going to go for a draw. No, no, I'm going to go for a state win. I'm going to go for a state win. Okay, last game. Uh, Chelsea Tottenham. Anybody see Spurs doing a hoodoo over um, Chelsea? Because this is Chelsea at home, and of course they've never lost at home under Mourinho. Mm. Ch- Chelsea, Chelsea didn't have a great start to the season. You know, they were kind of average. They picked up a bit, and the last couple of games that I anyway, again they've struggled. I mean, they struggled against Everton. They struggled against some other somebody else that I saw. Um, and Tottenham kind of have, Tottenham have got to win, keep winning games now. How to keep up with Liverpool and what have you, and if 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 Arsenal do start, the wheels come off big time. Tottenham have got to keep winning to keep the pressure on them to maybe overtake them for the fourth place. So I don't I don't necessarily think Chelsea will lose, but maybe Tottenham will get. A point. Well, Tottenham are fifth. Um, so I'll go for a draw. You're going to go for a draw. Tottenham are fifth. Above them in fourth is Man City, but they've got those games in hand. So if you sort of assume they'll win. They play the same number of games as Arsenal and are six points behind. Same as Liverpool. They're six points behind Liverpool as well. So it's not beyond them by any means. Everton have got a game in hand and are only five points behind Tottenham in, in six. So, you know, it's not beyond them by any stretch of imagination. And I, I, th- I think the only way that Sherwood's going to keep his job beyond the summer 
is if he qualifies for the Champions League. Because although he's got a contract that goes for a bit longer, I think if they don't make it to the Champions League, they'll just go out. They'll go out and get a big name coach in the summer. I don't think they'll stick with Sherwood. So what if he gets fifth and wins the Europa League? I still don't think that'll be enough for him. I think Tottenham want Champions League, and that's the end of it. I think there's, you know, everything they've done for the past five years is geared towards getting in the Champions League. They did it once. They had a good run, and everything ever since has been, you know, we must get into the Champions League, whatever we do. And they just keep missing out for one reason or another. And I don't think they can keep letting that happen. No. No, I think you're right. That's, maybe they would have kept Bale if they got Champions League. Yeah. You never know. Emma, what do you reckon? Yeah, I think Chelsea. You think Chelsea? I think I'm the same as you. Despite the way they played against Everton, they still won, didn't they? That's the thing. They did, but I mean, they they were, you know, first half, Everton completely outplayed them, you know. Mm. And even in the second half when they were the better team, they weren't that much better. It was just, it was a poor goal to concede in the last in well in injury time actually. So if Tottenham can play anything like Everton did that day, Tottenham have got more of a cutting edge up front if Adebayor's on form uh, than Everton have got. Oh, Everton had that day. So yeah, that's a very big if. Right. So um, well, that brings us to the end of our predictions. Has anybody got anything else they want to bring up or mention or talk about? No. No. All good in the Emma Hood. It is. Oh, I just would like to say that I um, have almost finished reading my copy of the Football Pink, and it was really, really good. Yes, I. Can... I'm really glad I purchased one. I can concur as well. Emma, Emma, why do you sound surprised? <laughs> That's no surprise. Both sound surprised. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's very good. Good. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Thanks for thanks for both of you to read that. Yeah. No. Well, you know, I. I there are some really good writers involved and that's kind of what the the whole thing's about is just getting people to write good stories whether it's nostalgic stuff or or up-to-date stuff or something a little bit quirky a little bit different um and and seeing if people like it you know it's it's never going to be a big some big glossy publication um that sells a million copies unfortunately i'm never going to get rich off it or anything but i just it's just something i hope people like so thanks very much for both of you for for taking the time to read it. No, it's very, very good. Very blizzardy. Well, thank you very much. That's a very, um, it's very good praise indeed. That. No, I'm not just saying that. It is. It's um, the same as the blizzard. You get you get articles about the game that you wouldn't necessarily thought about. I mean, Laura's article about um, uh, I can't remember the guy's name, but it's sort of the, the theatre and music hall and football. It's not yeah, something. Thomas Yowden, yeah. Yeah, it's not necessarily something you would think about, and it's a bit different than um, you know the decline of Barcelona or something that you you read about quite a lot. Well, that's it. I mean, the the type of thing that I like to personally like to read, and I think a lot of people like to read, is not like statistical analysis and heat maps and how far Jordan Henderson runs in a game or the decline of Barcelona or Fernando Torres's lack of form, which you can find in a million places. It's it's publications like the Blizzard or or when Saturday comes or websites like Embed with Maradona, for example, they're the ones that I've, I've really liked and, and others like them that brings you some of that really strange stuff and then that therefore is the stuff that I, you know, I want to put out as well. So although not necessarily be exactly the same, but they're the kind of things that have influenced the, the football pink for sure. Yeah. And if people want to, is it by invite only that you can write or can people submit stuff to you or, and how does it work? Both. Yeah. Both, you know, I, I, first of all, you know, I um, grabbed up a bunch of people who, whose stuff I liked and, and got in touch with them and they were, you know, kind enough to, to join in and and submit stuff. But 
I'm always happy for the website or for the magazine to for people to write in stuff and you know it's got to be really bad for me to turn it away or not edit it to a point that I think it's okay but I'm happy to always hear from people and and publish stuff on the website or consider it for future copies of the magazine okay well we got a bit of heat from the Sunday show actually um, they were sort of telling us to pipe down and stay in our place but we can do intellectualism on Thursday nights <laughs> and we get girls as well yeah well, that's it I, I'm smoking a pipe and we've got we've got babes on the show what more do we need we've got we've got highbrow and lowbrow we've got it all baby exactly <laughs> right uh, well, is there any any more heckles you want to pass across the Sunday show I'll um Let's take this chance to say thank you very much for both Emma and Mark for coming on. So if they want to follow you on Twitter, Mark, how do they follow you? It's at the Football Pink. Okay. And Emma, if you want to see your holiday snaps, how do they follow you? At Webs. Lovely. Okay. Well, thank you ever so much for um, for joining us, both of you. And thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, the Sunday show is available to download pretty much from Monday mornings, and there'll be a review of uh, FA Cup and Premier League action as well, as well as uh, the usual sort of betting uh disasters that they tend to have on there but thank you ever so much for listening and always remember to keep your man on the post Sorry. Yeah, still here. So it sounded like somebody shaving or something. <laughs> is that you, Emma? No, it's, it's, just, it's just my vibrator, don't worry. Is it? Yes. You've not got that beard yet, then, Emma? No. We've got Babe Station, have you? Or? Oh, come on, you know the good Babe Station doesn't start till 10, so you give yourself <laughs> a, I've given myself away there. <laughs> They're wearing coats till then. No, they've got the old grannies and the ones that look like um, cleaners on at this stage. Maybe our cleaners. Maybe they are the cleaners, that's it. They just haven't turned the, turned the cameras off yet. Yeah. <laughs>